Well, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We come here to the, to the power and the purpose in prayer. And the prayers in 3, as we've read the last couple of weeks, 14 down through 21. And certainly when you think about this prayer and throughout the Scripture, there are profound prayer requests in the Scripture. Paul said to the Philippian church at Philippi, he said, it is my prayer that your love, I love this prayer, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. What a great prayer. You love one another, he said to the church at Philippi, but I'm praying that it would abound more and more and that's my prayer for you. And you'll notice that that prayer is abounding more and more it says, with knowledge and all discernment so that we can prove what the will of God is. That's exactly what we want for our children. It's exactly what we want for our grandchildren. It's what we want for our church to be able to prove not what is okay, but what is excellent. To the church at Colossae, Paul prayed this way. He said, from the day we have heard, or we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. What a great church. I mean, Paul prayed for Philippi. He prayed for the church at Colossae. And then at the church of Thessalonica, specifically in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, he said, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. He says, as we do for you, so that, we, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Praying, what a great prayer to be blameless before God and the Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. And so those are great prayers. And we're in one of those great prayers in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It is a plea, a passionate plea in prayer for power. That's what it is. It's a passionate plea for power in prayer. In fact, one man said that no prayer has made a bolder petition. Now, as we've started this, this prayer contains five elements. And we've looked at these. We've looked at the next slide, at the premise of prayer, where he said, for this reason, and it backs up into chapter 2, we discussed the posture. He, in this case, not in all the scripture, he bowed his knee in submission and adoration. The person to whom he prayed was before the Father. And then the petition of the prayer is where the, the heartbeat of this prayer is. It's what he requests or what he petitions. And there's three of those petitions. One of them is for inner strength, or what I call indwelling strength. Indwelling strength. Pick up the text in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, 
that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What a great, great prayer. He's praying for indwelling strength. This is how we can pray for one another. This is how you can pray for your loved ones. You could just come before your Father in a heart and an attitude of submission, knowing that you can be intimate with your Father, but to also know that He has authority because every family who names, who has life and breath, comes under His name. But we noted there that the source is God. You're strengthened according to His riches or to the riches of His glory. God provides the strength. He's the source of all strength. The agent of that strengthening is the Holy Spirit. It comes through His Spirit. And then we looked at the location of that strengthening. Paul's praying for that strength in their inner being. And I mentioned last week that we spend so much of our prayers Speaking of the outer, speaking of the outward circumstances, physical discomfort, and certainly we can pray all those things, but we'll really begin to have the Apostle Paul's heartbeat when we begin to identify at least this petition of indwelling strength, that he's praying for strength in the midst of temptation, praying for strength in the midst of enemies, praying for the midst of a difficult world in which we live in. He's saying, I'm praying that you would have that power and that power would be in your inner being. And then the result of that strengthening was for this purpose, namely, that Christ may dwell in your heart, that he may be completely at home in your heart. And then the means is obviously it comes through faith. And there I don't think he's talking about saving faith. Paul is talking about trusting in his precious promises. So there's the first petition, and we looked at that, indwelling strength. But there's more. Look at verse 17b. He says there, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's the second petition. Not only indwelling strength, but secondly, comprehensive love. Comprehensive love. He's praying that we would be strengthened, if you will, to know, and I'll put it in this language, experience God's comprehensive love in Christ. That's how we can pray. You pray, you bow your knee, you pray for someone here to grow in the richness of their personal experience, certainly knowledge, but of their love for Jesus Christ and specifically his love for us that God gave his son. He so loved the world. Now you'll note there in 319, he says, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge Obviously, it's a paradox. I want you to know, Paul says, something that cannot be known. But you're praying for that. Here, Christ's love surpasses knowledge. Just as Paul said in Ephesians 3.8, that he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. And again, he's not asking us here just to intellectually comprehend the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's asking God that we grasp the vastness of Christ's love in our experience. 
He says, pray that. So here's how he prayed. He prayed for indwelling strength. He prayed for comprehensive love. And then I mentioned this prayer is like a telescope. In some ways, the further you go, all these statements uh, in the grammar and in the language are linked. And so he's praying that Christ would dwell in your heart as he dwells in your heart, as he's completely home there, he's praying, if you will, now for this comprehensive love that you would experience something of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ of what he's done for you. But he extends the telescope, if you will, even to a third petition, and this is where we pick it up this morning. It is the third petition of what I call complete fullness. Complete fullness. Look at the text. It's the end of verse 19. And it's there linked to that purpose clause that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Really, I think what this function at, functions as is a summarizing petition. He's praying that Christ would dwell deep down. He's praying that you would understand and comprehend the, the love of God. And as you understand the love of God and Christ dwelling in your heart, he's praying for these Ephesian believers, what a way to pray, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now the question would be, what does that mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? The Bible, and specifically Ephesians, talks about being full and filled. If you look over at chapter 1 of Ephesians in verse 23, we've seen it before, where he gave in 122 Jesus Christ as head over all things to the church. The church, then verse 23, is his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. And so his body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. In fact, look over at chapter 4 in verse 10 when it's speaking of Christ. He who descended, we believe at its incarnation, is the one who ascended, you know, after his death and resurrection, far above all the heavens here it is again, that he might fill all things. And so he's the head over the church to fill all things. He ascended into glory that he might fill all things. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5 in that famous text there when he says, Do not, in 5.18, get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But he says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we'll talk about that. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. It is to be dominated by the Spirit. In fact, that word, pleru, is used throughout the Old and New Testament. When somebody was filled with something, it was dominating them. In the Bible, and I'll make more of this in weeks to come, if somebody was angry, sometimes it says they were filled with anger. The point being is that the anger was controlling that person. Obviously, some people are filled with alcohol. And so he says in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, because when you're drunk with wine, you're dominated by wine. In other words, once you get drunk, you've lost control. 
The alcohol is controlling you. The alcohol is filling you. And the alcohol is changing your outlook on every single thing that you do. And so he gives that contrast. Rather than being dominated and controlled by alcohol, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. So it's just interesting. Christ fills all things. Here this prayer is that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. And then in Ephesians 5.18, it says to be filled with the Spirit. Now this phrase here, because you're wondering, how do I pray this? How do I pray this for my children? How do I pray this for my grandchildren, for this church? You're praying that we, Paul is, would be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that the character of God, the person of God, would begin to dominate and characterize our life. So not only do we look like Jesus Christ, but in this text, we take on the character of God. In, in fact, look over at Ephesians in chapter 4 in verse 13. Here's the goal of even this church. He says that they gave in 412 to equip the saints, or these gifted men, 412, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, men were set apart, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to build you so that you can do the work of ministry, verse 12, so that as you do the work of ministry, as you saw an expression of that even this morning in our worship team, the body of Christ will be built up. That this house that we live in, that this church that we're part of would grow. You say, what does it grow unto? Well, it's the next verse, verse 13. Until, in other words, it's moving towards something. We all attain to the unity of the faith. In other words, when the church is operating in the way that it should, unity comes about. Unity of the faith and of the knowledge, growth in the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of stature, watch this, of the fullness of Christ. Listen, it's not hard to know what we're all about here. We're after Christ's likeness in this place, right? In other words, we're glad you're here, but our goal isn't to entertain you. It isn't even necessarily to do fun things, though we want to be fun and we enjoy our relationship with God. The key here is that we grow you to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's how you can pray. You pray, God, I'm so weak, but fill me with your strength. God, I am so weak, and at times I'm bitter or I'm frustrated. So God, would you then at that point fill me with a comprehensive understanding of your love? And God, here, as I bow my knee to you, would you fill me with your power so that my life begins to take on, and in this case, the character of God. And so here is this complete fullness. Now I do want you to know, uh, according to the language, this is a passive verb here. So you're not, if you will, saying, I'm full, okay? Or you just pray yourself into fullness. I, I think I've told you before about my high school football team. They gathered at the goalpost after every game and 
sing this song every day in every way. We get a little stronger every day in every way. We get a little better. And they kind of worked into a fever pitch. And I'd see them out there as I was working out with the basketball team. And as much as they sang that song, they were really bad. They were one in 10 that year. Okay. So I say that this is a passive voice. In other words, God's the divine agent in filling you. Okay. So Paul is praying. You say, well, Scott, specifically, what is he praying? I'll tell you. He's praying specifically that you take on God's character, that you take on the very character of God. If God is pure, then we're called to be pure. If God is a holy God, then you're called to be a holy people. If God is a God of joy then you pray that your life takes on that joy. If God is a God of peace, and he is the God of peace, then you pray for his peace to be operative in your life and in the life of those whom you pray for. If God in his attributes is a God of patience, then we should be a patient people. Whatever you think of the character of God, when you think of the attributes of God, when you think of, if we called it this way, the perfections of God, here he's bowing his knee in prayer that we would take on the fullness of the character of God. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? He's praying that we would take on his very character. It says this, does Peter, in 2 Peter 1.4, we shouldn't be surprised that he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers, I love that phrase, of the divine nature. In other words, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't just save you from hell, praise God that he does. No, he started a process in your life and in my life in fact, you say the process, yeah, it's not just to heaven. The goal is to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to do everything he can in your life to conform you to the image of his son. But you've become, as it says there, a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. It's what we can call the already, not yet. He's redeemed us, but he's in the life, in the in the season, if you will, of changing us. So here, the pursuit, I don't know how you pray, it's helping me in my prayer life greatly. The pursuit of our prayer life should become more and more and more and more and more like God's character revealed in the person of Christ. Now, that's quite a prayer, but don't let it surprise you. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 1. I think Often we speak it of Christ, and we should, but he says there, actually back up into 432, be kind to one another, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and I love this little phrase, as God in Christ forgave you. <laughs> in other words, he forgave you, he forgave me, and you need to be and some of you are probably arguing with something in your life. Yeah, but pastor, if you would have known this, if you would have known what he did, if you would have known that she did this, if you would have known that he said this, and if you would have known that she said this, and so I'm going to live in bitterness. No, look what it says. Be kind to one another, 
just tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, God himself forgave you. So now look at the next verse. It's chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of what? God. In other words, here's the prayer. It's fulfill that in 5.1, be an imitator of God. That's how you can pray. I mean, it's okay to pray for people's safety. I get that. It's okay for you to pray for your children's safety. But maybe in addition to praying for that, it's even better to pray for their holiness. It's even better to pray for their purity. It's even better that you model patience and forgiveness, that you overlook offenses of what people have done to you, that you become like God. And I'm just telling you, sometimes it's one thing for me to exhort that to you out of the Scripture. It's another thing for you to get on your knees with open hands and an open heart and let go of every bitterness that someone's committed against you. And that you say, God, let me take on your character. You're going to say, Pastor, I don't know if I have enough strength. Oh, no, no, you have enough strength because he's praying that Christ would dwell in your heart through his spirit in your inner being. He doesn't want just the external side of you. He wants what's inside of you. So here he's praying to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being that Christ would dwell in your heart. And as a result of being rooted and grounded in love, to comprehend the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and to be filled with the fullness of the God's character that you become spiritually mature. Listen, some of you might just be visiting today and some of you might just be checking it out. But I could just unequivocally tell you this. This is what our goal is, to be more like Jesus Christ, to be more like the character of God. And to that end, everything we do throughout our ministry will be driving to that end. We want to create not a superficial people, but a deep people. We want to create deep grandmas who love Christ and have been walking with them so long they can put their arm around a younger woman. We want to create a deep core convictions in the life of our men so that they'll be able to help our younger men. This is our whole goal. This is our desire. This is our passion. And what's amazing is that God keeps blessing this and we say may it ever increase more and more. But that's what he wants to do. You might be saying though, but pastor, you don't know me. I didn't grow up in a home like you. Well, first of all, you don't know what kind of home I grew up in. Okay, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, and I've told you that before. But you might say, but pastor, I'm not like so-and-so. I, I, can, can he really do that? If I really pray for inner strength, for comprehensive love, for complete fullness, can he do that in me? Well, he, he already told you. Do you remember in verse 16, was it there, that he says, um, where is it when he says, oh no, it's 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, and if you're a saint, that includes you. <laughs> that includes you. I'm smiling because I told you about my mom's 85th birthday, I don't know, last week. She wasn't a believer when I was born. She wasn't a believer when I was young. She, well, she came to a saving relationship, and she's become a wise, praying, godly woman. 
And if the Lord Jesus Christ can save my family, who was on the outskirts of everything, then he can do a work in your heart. But you, you might be thinking, I don't know, I, can I really pray that? Can, can, is, is it possible to pray like that? And that, my answer would be yes, because of the scripture. Look at the next scripture. It's in 3.20, where it says, now to him who is able, that's God, who is able, and it's the word able, but it's the Greek term dunamis, to God who is powerful to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power, I love that phrase, at work within us. I like to read this this way. He is able. He is able to do. He is able to do what you ask. He is able to do beyond all that you ask or even think. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all you ask or think. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. So here at this point, his prayer then has turned into praise. It's, it's turned into uh, praise to God. We call that a doxology, is praise to God. Possibly the greatest doxology in all of the scripture. And so I bring you to this fifth element of his prayer. It's the praise of his prayer. We looked at the premise, the posture, the person, the petitions. And what is this? Well, it's the praise of his prayer. And he's praising God for his power, okay? And so there's two components to this praise. One, he praises him for God's power. And then we'll look at the second one, that he praises God for his purpose. But look first here, he's praising God's power. And remember this scripture, many of you can get up and give it by heart. What interests me this morning, and it's fine to memorize it, is to know where it fits, is to know how it fits. This comes in rolling. In fact, I still think he's praying. I still think as he finishes those three petitions, he's saying now to him. He's still in prayer. Now, just break it up just for a second. He says now to him, to the him, obviously is God. We've already talked about that. He's bowing his knee to God. It says that in 3.14, bowing his knee to the Father. He says in 3.16 that he, God, would grant you. He's praying for complete fullness of God in 3.19 as we looked. And so here, he's praying to God. And now he says this of God. Now to him who is able, dunamino is the word. In other words, it's that word for power. To, and, and the thought here is to him who can, has the power, who is able to carry something out. And obviously what he's carrying out is these prayer requests, these petitions. In other words, you pray those petitions because he's able. You pray to the one who is able or is the one who is filled with power and ability to carry it to completion. And obviously this is a statement that God is omnipotent. You say, well, how much power does God possess? Well, remember in chapter 1, in verse 19, he had the power to raise Christ from the dead. 
took him from the grave and seated him, if you will, at his right hand. He said of the Lord Jesus Christ that when he ascended into glory, he's far above. He said all rule, far above all authority, far above all power, far above all dominion. That under the Lord Jesus Christ, he put all things in subjection under his feet. He gave Jesus Christ his head over the church. That's power, is it not? That power that raised Christ, that power that saved you, is also the power that's going to keep you. Because remember in Jude, it says, now to him, the doxology there, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You know, when you think about it, people gloat over the power, certainly today, of technology, the power over satellites, the power that's given to the Tesla car, but the real power lies with our God who is omnipotent. Listen, all I know is in your life, he's gone to great lengths in chapter 2 to take people who were dead in their trespasses and sins, and he made you alive. He put a heartbeat in you for the things of Christ. He took you from a place of alienation, from a place of separation, and he reconciled you and gave you his peace. He did that to Jew and Gentile. He took you from being a child of wrath to making you a child of God. If he raised Christ, he's already raised you. And the power that was work at work in the resurrection is now the power that's at work in you. So God's power in prayer is, look at it again, he is able, and then it just mentions this, to do. You wouldn't doubt God, would you? And to do, it just means to make, to cause, to affect, to bring about, to accomplish, to perform, to provide. In other words, the one who's able is able to do, look at the text, far more abundantly. Now, I don't know, another translation, I'm reading from the ESV. What's interesting there, I won't cite what the Greek word is, it's so long it would be confusing, but it's one word. Far more abundantly is one word. It means to an extraordinary degree, over and above, the highest form imaginable. In other words, he's able to do, if you will, beyond all measure is the thought. Even beyond what you can even imagine. His power is far above and beyond what we ask. In fact, if you petition him, he's even able to do even more than you ask. Not only more than what you ask, but even what you think, even the ideal is imagined there. God is so powerful that he exceeds your capacity, if you will, to even ask or even imagine. There are no limits to what God can do through the power of prayer. Listen, beloved, Paul's just saying he's omnipotent. If you're wondering if he can fill you with indwelling strength, with comprehensive love, and with complete fullness, the answer is yes. I like the, the commentator Leon Morris said, God answers, quote, not according to our own puny petitions, but according to his mighty omnipotence. He's going to pray. I mean, wouldn't it be great if 
so many of us became prayer warriors in this church. But I think sometimes that we're like some of the Bible characters. (laughs) We limit God's power. Maybe sometimes we're like Sarah in the book of Genesis, Abraham's wife, when she overheard in the tent what God was about to do, namely to give her a baby to a woman who was a hundred years old. Do you remember what her response was? She what? She laughed is the thought. She said, how could this be? And the Lord responded in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is no, there's nothing difficult. She had a baby when she was a hundred years old. Or maybe we think in the New Testament when Gabriel, the archangel, came to Mary and announced to her that she was to give birth Imagine that. She's probably 14 at the time. Some people say 13. I think she's somewhere between 14, 15. An angel appears to you, and she announces to Mary that you are going to have a baby, and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary responded, do you remember? How can this be since I am a, what, a virgin? And Gabriel said in 137 of Luke, for nothing will be impossible to God. Listen, you may have come in today and you think your marriage is impossible. Really? Have you got on your knees? You think this relationship with your son or your daughter or a grandchild or someone in your business, it's not impossible. In fact, God has the power to not only change someone, but even to change your heart. Do you remember in Luke 18? When the rich young ruler, I love that text, came to Jesus, he came to the right person, Jesus. He came with the right question, what must I do to be saved? He he came in the right heart. He came bowing on his knee, begging, and he said, what do I need to do? And remember, Jesus said, go sell all that you have, and I'll give you treasure where in heaven. And my thought is, he he, he just heard, go sell all. He didn't know that he, that he said, have treasure in heaven. And Luke 18 says that uh, he went away. So sad. And the disciples, the apostles were stunned. And they thought if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus said there in Luke 18, things impossible with men are possible with God. Listen, God is able to do far above all we ask or all we think. And what's amazing is that this power of God, look at the text in verse um, 20. According to the power, this is unbelievable, at work, what? Within us. In other words, he raised Christ from the dead. He raises you from the dead. But the power continues at work within us. And so his prayer leads to praise. You know, if I could just take a moment here. The Westminster Catechism said, what is God? They answer the question. Here's the answer. He's a spirit, and he's unchangeable in his being, unchangeable in his wisdom, unchangeable in his power. So when you think of the character of God, 
He is a God that is described in his attributes as a God who is powerful. And I'm saying this for my prayer life, your prayer life. Psalm 147.5. Great is the Lord and abundant in strength. Listen, you, you may have came here today and thinking, I'm just here. Oh, no, no, I'm praying that your life radically changes. Some of you might be in your 50s, you men. I'm praying that the Lord would get a hold of your life so that your last 25 would be spent for something that matters eternally rather than the last, your next 25, rather than your last 25 that's been lived for yourself. In fact, one of the interesting words that the Bible describes God's omnipotence with is the word almighty. Almighty, this used that phrase. And one of the names in the Old Testament for God, some of you remember the song by Amy Grant, was El, what? Shaddai, okay? El speaks of God. Shaddai means almighty. And often when the scriptures put this together, God is almighty and, he, and it speaks of his immense power. In fact, Abraham was 90 years old, according to Genesis 17, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. It's all things are possible with me. In fact, in the New Testament, um, Almighty is a different word, but it's used as Almighty. It's in Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1.8. In fact, the angels in Revelation 4.8, the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings or full of eyes around and within, day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And so he's almighty. Some of you might, maybe you're newly married. You don't know how to live this thing called marriage. It could be that maybe you're newly married and you have kids. Listen, get on your knees. Pray for indwelling strength. Pray for comprehensive love. Pray for complete fullness because to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Listen, he will provide you with confidence in trial when you feel like you can't go on. Get on your knees and pray Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through him who what? who strengthens me. Listen, I need strength for life. You need strength for life. And if you need that strength, then get on your knees before the Father. Know this promise in the midst of difficulty. Psalm 91, that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Listen, nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing. Your finances aren't. Your godliness isn't too difficult. Your child isn't too difficult. Your sickness that you have isn't too difficult for the Lord. The death that you've suffered through in this last year of a loved one, listen, he's going to help you. 
And the, the release point here comes through prayer. No need is too great for him to fulfill. No temptation is too powerful to enslave you. No loneliness is too great for him not to relieve you. Cry out to the one who has all the power. In fact, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm nothing. So, uh, Jeremiah 32, 17, is too difficult for you. Listen, go to him in prayer and know his sweet power.